This was a series of sermons preached by Aaron Hale at Riverside Bible Camp in the summer of 2023. The theme verse for the week was from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. things I want to say just as we conclude our time together. Once again, thank you so much for not only being here, but just you guys have been so respectful and patient, um, even though it's been a lot of information, maybe like drinking from a fire hose a bit, but uh, you guys have been such a, a blessing to me, just seeing you grow and, and you know, learning and seeing you get some of these answers, these important connections uh, that we find in the Old Testament. So just a few quick things before we look at um, Ephesians 2 again a, a little bit. Uh, just a reminder, after chapel, well, actually I'll wait a little bit, probably at lunch, I'll grab the box under the, well, by the water fountain there. So if you had any more question and answers that you filled out, put your name on it, make sure you get it in the box before lunch, I'm going to get it and kind of go through quick, make sure no one put just uh, all the same answer in there or something like that. And then at, at the um, talent show, I'll draw some names up, I've got two gift cards, two Amazon gift cards for 25 bucks and a couple little books to go with that, so we'll do that later. And also, I know uh, I did not get a chance to ask all the questions in our booklets in chapel. I just get going and then forget. So um, we've talked about all of them, but haven't asked them specifically. So I have a few resources. If you'd like one after chapel, uh, just come and talk to me. I've got uh, several of these books. Can I, Can I Be Sure I'm Saved by R.C. Sproul, a really great resource if that's something you wrestle with. Uh, I think it's a great tool. Uh, I got some more of these little narrow gate, narrow way from Paul Washer, just kind of what is the gospel. And I do have some more million dollar bills, so if you really wanted a million dollar bill and you get one, then just come ask me. I, I do have some, probably not enough for everyone. But um, on that note, I thought I would just ask a few quick questions as we start. So, two million dollar question. One. I'm just waving the millions around here. <laughs> um, so, what is another major Old Testament covenant that we did not look at specifically? Can anyone think of another important promise God made to someone in the Old Testament? Yeah? Um, to David. Yeah? Good job. Oh, nice work. King David, there's a, called it the Big Covenant. And... God had promised David that from his descendants would come a king who would sit on the throne forever and ever, which, guess who that king is? <laughs> yeah. Exactly, thank you. And uh, so that, that's another one we didn't get time to look at. Okay, here's one more question. Uh, $3 million question. <laughs> uh, what, which one is the eternal covenant? Which one is the eternal covenant? We talked about it last night. Okay, covenant of Jesus, also known as the covenant of... Yes, good job, three million. Throwing it in. All right. 
Yeah, so that's, um, I hope you guys start seeing that connection is so important. How did, um, so right from the beginning of time, how did, so this covenant of grace that was purposed before even God created things, Jesus purchases it in his coming, his death, his life, death, and resurrection. How did people enter into it? How did uh, Noah enter into this covenant? Think of your theme verse. This is the key. Yeah. How did well, How did he enter in? Because the cross, it all it made Jesus paid for all sins before right. and after for eternity. Yeah. So it was by grace, grace through faith. faith. And this is not exactly. Is so he entered this covenant by grace through faith. How did Abraham enter this covenant? Same thing. By grace through faith. How did David enter this covenant of grace? Exactly. You start to see the picture. And how do we enter into this same covenant of grace which Christ purchased? By grace through faith. Right? And you start to see that running all throughout the scripture. And it is absolutely incredible. This is the covenant of our salvation. And it's fixed in the assurance of God's faithfulness and the finished work of Christ, which cannot be undone or broken forever. This is why we're eternally secure. Um, if we'd still been in Adam, we'd only been one sin away from falling out of the covenant, right? Even if he'd lasted for all these years, we're one sin away from, break, from it being broken. But in Christ, it is forever <coughs> secure for all eternity. We'll never come out of the grace of God because it's rooted in what Christ has done in his faithfulness. So, you want to just turn quickly to Ephesians uh, 1 and 2 again. There was one part of our theme verse, we talked a lot about um, grace and faith and, and how grace is God's riches at Christ's expense and faith is, is the enabling of the Spirit which allows us to trust that grace, to hold on to it. Hebrews 11 one says, faith is the conviction of things unseen. So we're, we're trusting in this promise. We're, we're basing all of our hope in what Christ has done. That is, that is, the, that is the, the, the instrument of faith. But the second part of our, our theme verse, which I wanted just to talk a few minutes about as we close, is we talked about that this is all to the glory of God. So it's, it's him who gets the credit. It's him who gets the glory. We're here to worship him. And this will be our, our theme in heaven as well. But we also see that God has done this in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 10. This is a, uh, also part of the verse which follows. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And... The, in the Protestant Reformation, if you know anything about uh, church history, it was a, a big moment where the, the Catholic Church had been teaching that you have to not only receive the grace of God, but you also have to do certain things to be saved. So you're, you're saved by baptism, you're saved by confession, you're saved by tithes and offerings. And they had this thing where you, if you wanted to get out of purgatory or get your relatives out of purgatory, you could pay money to the church and... And they had a saying, you know, that when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And, and they were getting mass amounts of money from people, deceiving them about what salvation is. So Luther, uh, Martin Luther, began to realize this. He was a, a monk, actually. And he began to realize salvation is by grace through faith. It's not something we do. And he began preaching against uh, the Catholic Church and sparked what became the Protestant Reformation, from which all of our various denominations actually stem. 
And the, the reformers had a saying, which is, we are justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. I'll say that again. We are justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. And what does that mean? It means, yes, you are saved by grace through faith. It is finished by the power of what Christ has done. But those who have true saving faith, it is a living, active, moving faith. It is not stagnant. In fact, the entire book of James is written on this point. James was looking at people who were professing faith in Christ, and yet their life was not any different than the world. They were, they were saying the same jokes, they were using the same language, they were watching the same filthy movies, listening to the same garbage music, and James was like, no, 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 no. Faith that's not active and living and moving is not saving faith. And this is what Paul is also saying. He's saying, listen, the, this grace by which you've been saved was so that you would be his workmanship created for good works in Christ. And um, Paul said this also in, in, uh, in chapter 1. Now, I remember last night the skit, uh, the one the two cabins doing, cabin 1 and 10? Okay, at the end they, they said we're going to seal the covenant, right? And, and uh, we had to watch them spit into their hands and then shake hands and seal the covenant, right? So... So that's actually an important picture, uh, not the spitting part, but this idea of sealing the covenant. So if you back up just for a moment, um, Ephesians 1, and in verse 13, listen to what Paul talks about this, uh, us being sealed in this covenant. 1.13, in him, you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, so that's conversion, you hear this message, and you believe it by faith, you trust it, then Paul says, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So as we receive this gift that Christ has, has won for us by faith, then the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, actually comes within us, changes our nature, gives us new desires, gives us this new heart that we talked about that we need, this, this, this heart transplant, that heart of, that's a heart of stone that we receive from Adam is changed to a heart of flesh that is alive and beating. And the Spirit of God within you is the seal, the evidence that you are in this covenant. And what is it that the Spirit of God does? Well, he not only changes our, our nature, gives us now a love for God, a love for His Word, a love for His people. We begin to hate our sin. It becomes loathsome to us. The things we once loved and delighted in now, they're repulsive to us. They, they grieve us. We're convicted and we, we want to honor God. And this is the work of the Spirit. And He begins this work of sanctification, which is a big word, but it just means progressing in holiness, progressing in Christ-likeness, the Spirit of God, the seal of the covenant, is put upon you, and you begin doing good works. And this is part of God's design in salvation, that we would do these good works. And um, we also find, again, if you look at chapter 1, verse 4, Paul has already stated this, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, so that's this covenant of, of, of grace, of redemption, um, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So again, the, the aim that God has through all of this is that your life be holy and blameless. And you say, well, 
I sin every day. I'm not holy and blameless. Well, in Christ, you're positionally justified, which means, you know, we, we just sang about the, the robes of Christ's righteousness being upon us. Positionally before God, you are righteous. You are perfect in his eyes. You are a beloved child. And now in our sanctification, we're becoming what we are in Christ. And this is the ongoing work of the Spirit so that we become more and more, day by day, more like Christ, more holy, more blameless in our conduct. And this is a process that will go on until either you die or Christ himself returns. And this is why I referenced the Pilgrim's Progress, that story that John Bunyan wrote, because Pilgrim's Progress kind of shows in an allegorical way the ongoing battle that is the Christian life. Sometimes Christian is, is delighting in house beautiful with fellowship and food, and, and he's just feeling so on top of the world. And other times he's, he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and he, he feels like he's going to give up, he's not going to make it. And, and by the help of a friend who's reminding him of Scripture, he makes it through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and then he comes to the, the, this, this opportunity to leave the path and wander off into a, it looks like a softer path, but that leads Christian into Doubting Castle. And, and there he is locked in a prison for a long time until he thinks he's going to be destroyed by this, this, uh, this giant. And finally God brings him out and he's working his way towards the celestial city. And this is a picture of our sanctification. It is... A battle. There are struggles, there are doubts, there are trials, there are times when the enemy comes against you and, and you're crying out to the Lord, feeling like you may not make it through. But He is faithful, and we are called to press on. And so I know yesterday I said I would talk a little bit about assurance of salvation. I know that's something you guys wrestle with. I certainly wrestled with that a lot as a young teen, growing up in a Christian home. Um, you know, I, I had made a profession of faith, but I often struggle with, how do I know I'm actually a Christian? What does that look like? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15, you know a tree by its fruit. And this is the time of year, maybe some of you enjoy picking berries, or um, I know my family, we love picking little blueberries. They're kind of annoying because you have to sit down on the ground and, and get them because they're so low, but they're delicious. And, uh, and, and you, know what, you know what kind of tree it is by the fruit, right? You begin to recognize, oh, that's a Saskatoon tree. Oh, look, a strawberry. That's a strawberry plant. And Jesus said, you don't pick, you don't pick berries from a thorn bush. And so in the same way, part of the affirmation of your conversion, of you being in this covenant, is the Spirit of God working within you, changing your heart, giving you new desires, bringing good fruit out of your life, and so, yes, we're saved by God's grace and our security is rooted in this covenant that he has worked, but we also see the Spirit's work in us, which affirms to us we belong to God. We have a living, active faith. Now, I'm going to turn to the right, almost to the end of the Bible, if you're following along, to 1 John. Now, 1 John, he actually, some letters in the Bible, the author just flat out tells us why they're writing it. Other times, you're kind of trying to figure out what are the main themes and, and that sort of thing. Now, John is one of these books where he just flat out tells us why he's writing this letter. And listen to what he says in, in 1 John 5, 13. This is why he writes. This is a wonderful letter for you to read. If you wrestle with assurance of salvation, then read 1 John. Study it. Meditate on it. 
Um, this is what he says in 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So, God wants you to have assurance. He wants you to, to have a sense of confidence before God. I belong to him. I have eternal life. And John says, I'm writing to you Christians so that you know that you have eternal life. And then the question is, well, okay, John, fine. How do, I, how do I know that? Well, he gives a series of tests that we can examine ourselves with throughout this letter. Um, do we love God? Do we love the world? Do we love his word? Do we love his people? Do we love the truth? Are we abiding in sin? Um, but I think um, just a quick summary of, of this test for us, this, this evidence of the, the good work that God's doing in us, in 5, 1 John 5, I'll just read a portion of this, and it actually ties in well with our, the last song we just sang. There's a line in there that I, I want to see if you uh, caught. But 1 John 5, 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father uh, loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So do you see what John is saying? He's saying, if you truly believe in God, if you've truly been uh, born of the Spirit, which is another way of saying you've been converted, you've been made new, you've been raised up to life, once dead in Adam, raised in Christ, if that's true of you, John says a few things will be true as well. You will love God, because everyone who's born of God loves the Father and loves those who've also been born of God. That's other Christians, other believers. Now, this is very interesting, and um, it's took me many years to, to understand. But, do you remember what Jesus said the two greatest commandments are? He was asked this multiple times. You guys can shout it out. Love as yourself and love okay. the God. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, sometimes that's presented to you as the gospel, you know? Oh, the gospel is love God and love neighbor. Do that and you'll be saved. Guess what? That's, that's works righteousness. Do you know what love God and love neighbor is? It's a summary of the Ten Commandments, and in fact, if you take the first four commandments, which is sometimes called the first table of the law, it's telling us how to love God. No other gods before me. Don't make graven images and bow down to them. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep the Sabbath, remember it as a holy day to worship God. And, and so this is a summary, that to love God is a summary of the law. And then what's love neighbor? Well, that's the rest of the commandments. And I can't list them all in order, but... Um, we know we have honor of father and mother, um, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not uh, bear false witness, do not covet. Like, what are all those commandments talking about? Well, that's talking about how you love your neighbor. 
It's not loving to steal from your neighbors. It's not loving to lie about them. It's not loving to, to constantly covet what they have, to always want what they have. That's, that's not pleasant to be around someone like that. This is telling us how to love our neighbors. So what is John saying? He's saying, we are saved from the curse of the law by Christ keeping it perfectly for us. Then, as we are born again, we are saved in order to keep the law. <laughs> you are saved now as you are empowered by the Spirit of God to begin obeying the commandment that has always been true. Love God and love neighbor. That's not how you're saved. That's the response of saving faith. You love God now, and you are learning to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ, loving them, laying down your life for them. And this becomes evidence, John says, of the fact that you have been born again. So you can examine yourself. You can ask yourself questions. Where does my mind go when I have spare time? What's, what's the thing I, I tend to always think about? Is it the video game that you're trying to level up on and you're just almost there and I just can't stop thinking about that video game? I love that video game. I hate school. I want to go home and play that video game. Well, guess what? There's a love there, isn't there? This is consuming your mind. Or maybe it's that boyfriend or girlfriend and it's just, I, just, I can't stop thinking about them. All I want to do is be with them. And, and I just thought they're my entire life. And I listened to a lot of the music today. I was trying to find some um, lyrics for you guys and I just gave up. I just listened to them. Taylor Swift, and I was like, no, I just can't do this anymore. <laughs> but um, no, I think it was Imagine Dragons, some of the stuff I actually kind of like. But they had a song, and in the end, he was searching for what's the purpose, you know, set your phone down and listen to me. And, and at the end, he said that everything is about you. And I was like, no, you missed the point, man. If you make the center of your life your boyfriend or girlfriend, guess what? It's a dry well. You're going to be disappointed. You're made to know God, you're made to love Him, and what, what the Gospel frees us to do is to begin to love God. He becomes the one who you begin to think about, to want to know more, to, to, to honor Him. The fear of God begins to, to dominate your life, not in that you are afraid of Him in the sense of like, afraid of a, you know, a bear in the woods, but the sense of, I don't want to offend Him, I don't want to, to, to hurt Him, to grieve Him, I want to do what pleases Him. And this becomes the work of the Spirit and part of the affirmation in your life that you belong to Him. And so it's not a bad thing to ask sometimes those questions. What is the greatest loves in my life? Does my life look any different than the world? Do I pride myself on my language that I can, I can use all the latest lingo and I can, I can drop you know, the F-bomb and I can talk like my buddies? Well, John says, if you love the world, then the love of God's not in you. So you should be concerned about that. If your humor looks like the humor of the world, guess what? You should be concerned because John says, if, if, you're, if you're looking all like the world, then, then probably the love of God's not in you. And again, this is not something we ever um, perfectly do. I stumble and fall every day, but sometimes it's, it's even in our heart, you know. We, we struggle with lust, or we struggle with pride, or we struggle with discontentment, and we have to confess that to God, and we have to trust that He forgives us in Christ. And I'll leave you with this. Uh, he says, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes in Jesus Christ? Now, it's not that our faith 
as powerful as though it's this, you know, a lot of times Hollywood presents faith or you see these plaques on the wall, you know, faith, hope, love, and it's like, what do they even mean? Uh, why is it the faith of a mustard seed is so powerful enough to cast the mountain into the sea? It's not because of the quality of our faith. It's because of the object of our faith. It has looked to Christ. It is faith in Christ. It is when we trust in Him, then we overcome because He is the overcomer. And listen to this uh, in Revelation 13 now. For the sake of time, I'm not uh, going to read all this, but you should read Re uh, Revelation 13 sometime. It, it, it gives this picture of, again, um, actually, sorry, Revelation 12, then read through. From the beginning of time, it gives this picture of an angel um, giving a message through John, and he sees a pregnant woman who's about to give birth, and then suddenly this red dragon appears with seven heads and ten horns, and the, the dragon is trying to devour the child that's coming from this woman. But the child is spared, and he is told we're going to rule the nations with a rod of iron, and he's caught up to God. And then the dragon goes after the woman, and he pursues the woman and the offspring of the woman. And we get this statement, uh, and, and actually we're told plainly in Revelation 12, the, the great dragon was thrown down from heaven, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down. And listen to this. It says about those who follow after the Lamb, the Son. He says in verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And do you see the picture? We've been looking at this. Christ the serpent crusher at the cross deals a, a death blow to the serpent. But now this serpent is like a wounded animal in the throes of death, flailing around, trying to do as much damage as he can. And we, now the ambassadors of Christ, are called to also conquer this serpent, this dragon. And how do we do that? We're told it's by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. As we hold fast to Christ and we trust in the sufficiency of his blood, we overcome, even in the face of death. You think sometimes, even around the world today, people are dying at this very moment because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're being executed. And yet, even in that moment, John is saying they overcome the beast because they will not bow. They hold fast to Christ, and he delivers them. Even last night, uh, it's funny because I remember singing the song at the campfire when I was in camp, Romans 16, 19, right? As, it's a Bible verse. It's a great one. Um, and, and the line in there that we are, uh, the, the God of peace will soon crush Satan and God will crush him underneath your feet. How does that happen? It happens as we profess the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony, we will overcome. And finally, the story ends in uh, 
Revelation 20. See, I have one page of notes, but I'm still going along. Um, <laughs> Revelation 21. Let me just read this for you, and I will let you go. This is the picture that we have. The saints have been redeemed. The dragon has been slain, cast into the fiery pit with all of those who, who follow after him. And we have this picture of, once again, back in a garden, but not just a garden, a city garden where we dwell with Christ himself. Revelation 21, 22, John says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Sorry. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. <laughs> and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, or anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp or light or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's where the story ends. And... Good chance, uh, I don't see a lot of you guys, um, probably not for the rest of my life, good chance, right? I, I don't know, I'd love to. But I pray that you are there on that day when we enter into a new heavens, a new earth, our bodies changed, glorified with Christ. Christ the Lamb no longer a Savior we cannot see, but our very present help, our shepherd, the one who we walk with and we talk with and we look upon his face and we see the scars upon his hand and he himself, the glory of Christ, lights the earth. I pray you are there. And the invitation is to come. To come. But in order to come, you must first die. And I'm not talking about a physical death. I'm talking about you must lay aside your claim to this life. You must lay aside your rebellion. Lay aside your hard-heartedness. Lay aside all the things that you love in this life. Acknowledge you cannot save yourself. And you come humbly to Christ and you say, I have no other boast. No other hope. It is Christ alone. God, save me. 
change me, hold me fast, and you will be brought into that city. Let's pray, and uh, we'll come. Father, thank you for this opportunity this week. I pray that you uh, work in each of these hearts, and God, that you do hold them fast, that we go out. We go out into a war zone, there's a battle raging, and these two folks are told so many lies. The enemy is deceptive. God, would you keep them? Would you help them to see Christ? And Lord, may we rest in his finished work. Lord, may you be praised. And we trust you are faithful and good. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hand. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Tune in next time and we'll see what happens as our story continues. Remember, if you would like to write to us or find out more information, you can find us online at www.kidsway.ca. And don't forget to head over to www.soulmusic.ca to find many more songs that Jamie Souls has written and recorded. See you next time. May God bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you.